Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Nakia and welcome to the Fearless Kia Podcast. everyone what's up it's your girl fearless kia welcome to another fearless friday so this week's devotional is you can look ahead you can look behind what is written cannot be changed the oracles of ifa we cannot change the color of our skin what we can change is how we feel about it we cannot change a pain-filled past what we can do is change how it affects us we cannot change how others may feel about who we are and where we've been What we can change is how we see it, how we use it, and how others use it to our benefit or determine. The past has already been written, but we have the power to write the future based on who we are and what we do now. Only we can write a future based on self-support and respect. We can write a future based on how much we have grown. We can write a future full of strength, peace, wealth, and love. All we have to do is what is right now. Friendly reminder... I am choosing my future by what I do now. And with that being said, we'll get into this week's podcast guest. This week's guest is a marketer specializing in integrated media strategy and brand sponsorships for content creators with five years of gaining experience and perspective at top agencies working on leading brands, including Verizon, Swarovski, (laughs) and LVMH Beauty. She is a founder of Strivers Row, a platform that celebrates and connects young black doers. It is more than a passion project or side hustle. She is grateful to have found an entrepreneurial endeavor that embodies her purpose. They are currently creating content and campaigns while dabbling in events, but there's so much more in store. So stick with them and they promise it will be worth it. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Fearless Kia podcast, Destiny Swindell. Hi, girl. Yay. Hey. So I usually like to start out the episode and ask my guys, what is your deepest fear? Hmm. Um, I had sent two, uh, but we'll go with, um, I think my deepest fear, um, my deepest fear is uh, not having it all. Getting to a point in my life and looking back and not having had it all. Right. Okay. So what? Like when did that fear when did that fear develop and um, how are you actively kind of overcoming it on a day to day basis? Um, so I mean I think on the one side of it, right? Like my I've always I think since I was a child had a lot of ambition and, and wanted to have um, a grand life essentially, right. right? And to have a you know a prosperous career and be able to see the world and all those things. So I think that that side of it has always been around um, and a lot of anxiety about like falling short of that. Um, on the other side of it, in terms of like family um, and having that piece, um, that piece probably has been around since I was a kid too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes from like my mom wasn't married, mm-hmm. um, so. I don't I, I can't remember being fairly young and like thinking about the fact that like, well, I want to be a wife, but like my mom wasn't married. Right. Um, and so feeling like that was kind of a cycle that I didn't want to re- repeat as much as, you know, I had a lot of love in my life. My dad was very present, um, but just not having like a man in the home was always a void that I felt growing up. Right. And so at this point, how have you... Um manage that or 
actively kind of work towards overcoming that fear when it comes to, I guess, since this is tied strictly towards the, the aspirations of wanting to be, you know, a wife and establish like a different um, household for your future family to come, how have you kind of actively worked towards overcoming that fear? Um, I don't think that I have <laughs> much. You know, I think I've worked hard, as hard as I can to make sure that my career is in place. Right. So, like, I feel pretty confident that like I won't be too disappointed in that aspect of my life. Um, and on the other side, I mean, really, I've had a lot of terrible experiences with men. So mm. I don't feel as confident on that end. Um, but I will say in terms of working through the fear itself, yeah. what I have had to do is just get to work to get to a point where I, what I do truly believe like what's for me is for me. Yeah. And like, you know, that my plan for my life may not be God's plan. Yeah. And like, also like maybe there, there's a chance that that isn't what's in the cards for me. And like, just getting to a point to be okay. Hey, and be with fulfilled that. with what, yeah. you know, by what does come my way. Yeah. And I'm sure like the experiences with dating here in New York and those, those things could feed into right. That fear. Mm-hmm. Right. And trigger those things to be like, Ooh, child, I don't Maybe this is not for you know, maybe God is like, This ain't not me for right, you, right? Girl, focus um, on that work, yeah, okay. yeah. But at the <laughs> same time, which is why you, you, you know, tri- um, moved your energy towards focusing on your professional career, right? Mm-hmm. There's the things that you can't control and the things that you cannot control, which is the experiences that you have with um, men here. But the thing is that, um, it really kind of speaks more to like okay is there something going on i don't want to say in the community but is there something going on where it's like we can't build healthy relationships even if it's just friendship right Mm -hmm. even if you date someone and ends up doing this friendship is there something going on in the community where we can't just establish a healthy space with one another regardless if it moves towards something or it stays and remains at a certain place and that's something that I feel I've always like sat and thought like will this ever like can that ever exist particularly in the black community can that ever exist who knows you know but enough of that I'm going on a little tangent but I want (laughs) But I want to kind of delve in deep, a little bit deeper about the fear um, later on as we continue through our chat. But I want you to kind of tell us your story and how you um, moved here from you're from Virginia mm-hmm. and how you um, you you also went to HBCU and how you kind of your trajectory of coming from the South and moving up to a big city like New York and how you establish yourself as a marketer um, in this space. Yeah, um, so like I said, I'm from Virginia, I'm from Hampton, um, and then I went to school in D.C. at Howard. Um, I always wanted to live in a city. Um, I didn't imagine that that city would be New York. Um, I actually, when I visited, I visited New York a few times um, in college, and my my stepmother's from Brooklyn, so I had a few experiences there too, but I never really liked New York. I thought it was just too much um, going on. And I interned in Chicago the summer before my senior year, so I really wanted to move there. Um, But, like, we were kind of coming out of, you know, the tough job market. So, Mm -hmm. like, I got a job offer in New York first, and I was like, well, that's where I'm going to go. Right. Because I need a queen. Um, So, moved up here. 
Um, expected to be here for two years and be out. Girl, I'm me coming too. up with six, and I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I moved up here to work in advertising, um, in the media agency world. Uh, and you know, in terms of that, it's, it's kind of a game where a lot of people do bounce around. Um, and so I, and I did that. Um, so I've worked at three different agencies, um, and I'm kind of on the hunt now, probably go back to my fourth. Um, but you know, I, I enjoy the, the work that I do in media strategy. I mean, it gives me a bit of a bit of creativity within a business setting. Um, so, so I like it. Um, and then in terms of just like branching out into other stuff, those things I never saw coming. Yeah. Um, it just happened. Well, which, yeah. Like tell us how you kind of transitioned from full time to like entrepreneurship and launching Strivers Row and just, you know, your vision for the platform. Um, so yeah, so I started Strivers Row back in August of 2017. Um, and at the beginning of last year, of 2018, I um, brought a co-founder on, um, Duke and I, uh, Duke Charles. We just kind of realized that there were a bunch of synergies in what we wanted to do. Um, and it made, it made sense for us to work together rather than to do essentially the same thing separately. Um, and when, when he came on board, there were a lot of new ideas that were kind of infused into kind of the vision for where Shriver's Row wanted to go. Um, and it was, it was hard to balance the two of them. I mean, transparently, like my, my reason for quitting my full-time job wasn't really to focus on Shriver's Row full-time. Okay. Um, but I think having Shriver's Row kind of heightened my frustrations, um, with my job. Um, it was one of those situations where I, I had a few bosses at my last agency and a couple of them were like, very interested in what I doing, what did out of work, were very encouraging, were very understanding of that. Um, and then some weren't. And I really mm. regretted sharing those parts of myself because uh, it became an issue. It just became a reason to question me on things that I felt like I shouldn't be questioned on. Mm. Um, and it was a very frustrating because I was already like under the stress of trying to balance and I didn't work a nine to five. I worked a nine thirty to eight thirty nine most nights um and then going home and trying to get my stuff done and then go back in the morning only to be questioned about it like i really wasn't banging with it yeah um and how was that for you your your mental and emotional and spiritual oh it wasn't good it was not good at all i um honestly i mean the last few weeks at my job i was miserable like i would i would go to work and find a huddle room and like just cry all day. I was like, if I had a meeting, I would pop out for a meeting. But like, I was I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I was just miserable. Um, and and I needed to get out. Like I was, it was just impacting me in like ways beyond work. And I was like, I'm just not a happy person. Um, mm-hmm. So something's gotta give. And when I quit, um, the intention it wasn't it wasn't necessarily to focus on Shriver's Row full time or indefinitely. It was just like to take a break to figure out what I wanted to do next. And cause I didn't want to rush into something and jump somewhere else just to get out of a space and it be worse. Um, so it was really just to like make a deliberate next move. Right. Um, and I mean, in that time, right after I quit, we were able to come up with the idea and do everything to launch our first campaign, um, which 
honestly, I, I never could have done if I would have been working. So I think that the timing was perfect. Right. Um, just because we, I mean, we had so much running around to do in those couple of weeks that like, there's, there's literally no way it could happen. Um, so yeah, I think the timing was right. Um, I decided to kind of explore freelancing a little bit while working on Strivers Row also. Um, but I like stability. Um, I was going to ask you that too. I was going to say like, <laughs> what is you now, um, transitioning out of corporate world and being an entrepreneur, but also doing freelance work. What is the biggest misconception about either being an entrepreneur or being a freelancer that people, um, don't see or don't know? Um, I mean, I think it requires an immense amount of discipline, Mm. um, to be in those spaces because there's no one, if you don't do it, no one cares. Like, you know what I'm saying? Only the only the only person that's really hurting is your goals, right? And what you want to achieve. But right. no one is looking for you to do this particular thing in most instances. So you just have to have it within yourself to to get stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to also talk to you more about like the pro so what are like have been the pros and cons for you as you navigated this space? You're launching your um your platform and of course with any business there's good days bad days whatever the case may be what have been maybe some pros some highlights and what have been some challenges and how have you overcome them um I mean I think definitely the highlights are when things come to life so I mean for me in most the the most special things to me were like when both of our campaigns have gone live. Yeah. Um, because it's just a culmination of so much work and so many people. Um, and it's also like I created this to be able to allow other people to shine. Um, yeah. And so, you know, when, when people, other people see their faces on link screens or when someone, a striver, you know, interview is released and they're like, wow, like I felt seen in that. Those yeah. are always, those always make it worth it. Um, I would say, and I think just honestly, just having control of my time and the ability to do relationship building. I mean, I I got to a point where it was like, I just became a house body in reality, but I did enjoy when I wasn't in the office for the majority of the day, like I could meet up with folks who I want to sit down with for lunch or for coffee. And I'm, I'm the person who can be flexible and work in their schedule. So I was able to make a lot of great connections in that time. Um, In terms of cons, I mean, it's hard to be broke. Um, wow. <laughs> that's really it and I'm like you know transparently I'm in a, I'm probably about to transition back into uh, a corporate role for a little bit um, because I've tested the limits of struggle that I'm comfortable with and I'm not anymore I like to be able to pay my bills I like to be able to pay my bills on time mm-hmm. I haven't traveled in over and you a year. love to travel yeah I mean that's the biggest I mean that's the thing that like, I, I like feel it like it's like yeah, Wanderlust biggest... is like I feel I miss it yeah. for my life. And that's um, one of and, the sacrifices that yeah. have been made in this transition. Absolutely. And I think even more so, like, where all of those things... Well, paying my bills is really important. Like, I don't need to pay my bills. I need to have a roof over my head. But even more so than, like, traveling or, you know, being able to brunch as much as I want to, like, we're still in a space where we have to put money into Strivers Row. Yeah. Um, and so... Because there are certain things that we do where, like, I believe in this so much that, like, I will pay for it until until someone else is ready to cut a check, like, for us to do it, I'll pay. Um, and I need that. Yeah. Um, you know, I need a pot of money to be able to pull from when we want to put on a dinner, when we don't meet a bar guarantee for an event, you know, the realities yeah, that come along gotta, with yeah. these things. And so those 
bumps and like having to cut corners or make concessions in some way with something some things with Shriver's Row is what really lit a fire under my ass because you know Duke and I always have a conversation because I'm I think I'm probably the grand vision the, the grand visionary who like I see it in full color and he we always have these conversations where he's talking me down to be like we're not there yet. We'll get there. Like, but like, you know, remember the why, and as long as we satisfy the why, we've done what we were called to do. do. Um, but at the same time, like, I do want any experience that people have with us to feel, you know, of a high quality and is reflective of how highly I think of them. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't want to. There's some concessions that I don't want to make when it comes time to do sharpers real things either. Yeah, absolutely. And so, why is it so important? Why is um, Strivers Row so important to the black community, um, to the New York City area? I'm sure that there are visions to expand outside of New York, but why is having this platform so important? And and what is the impact that you want it to have on the people in our community? Yeah, um, so there's this video um, where Issa Rae kind of talks about networking across. Yeah. Um, And that's really the crux of what Strivers Row is. Like, I have been blessed to meet so many people who are amazing. Like, who are just so talented, so driven, who are truly going to accomplish great things. And I think it would be so much sweeter if we all get to a point and we're like, wow, like, we all made it. And we all made it together, right? Like, to be able to look in the room, wow, like, you had a hand in my success and you had a hand in my success. And yeah. I was able to connect you to this person and you were able to influence their success. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's really it. Like, we say networker calls climb together um, and wanting to help that happen. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think... There's, there's that side of it. There's also that with Shriver's Row, we're very careful um, with our messaging and with the environment that create, we created spaces to yeah. not put forth this idea that there's a certain uniform for excellence. Yeah. Right? That you have to walk a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way. Like, until we're hosting galas at mansions in the Hamptons, like, there's no dress code for a Shriver's Row event. Like, don't feel like you gotta keep your cold switch switched when you come to Shriver's Row stuff. Pin you know? that, though. Because we do need them galas. <laughs> yeah, no, so it's pop coming, over here. Pin that, though. I'm like, keep that out of here. But, like, you know, really, like, often, I feel like so often there, there are sometimes these spaces that exist to recognize excellence but mm-hmm. again you got to put on the uniform to be perceived a certain way and I think you know for black folks like there's a lot of reasons why we move that way um that are tied to just our plight in this country and yeah. I want us to, to let loose of that right we're really about authenticity like come as you are if you are a true ratchet it don't matter. Like, you're still dope and, like, come in your full ratchetness. Right. Or if you're a more conservative person, too, like, that's totally fine. But whoever you are, come as that person. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think we're trying to delve deeper into that, even with our campaign that we did for Black History Month, right? Yeah. It's around, you know, Ebonics and that the message is that, yes, like, the way that black folks, a lot of black folks speak, because we all don't speak Ebonics, and it's important to acknowledge, too, right? But the way that a lot of us speak is different. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, right? It's it's just different. That's it. There's no connotation that be, cause should be put on the word different. Yeah. Um, and so, as much as possible, we try to do that. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. 
<laughs> yeah, Canal Girl. I was like, African American <laughs> vernacular yeah. English is and a thing, people. It is. And, and it honestly, is I'll add to um, because I've had some conversations with folks recently um, that have stood out to me a lot um, just around blackness, mm. right? And how. I think some people, some black folks feel about blackness mm. um, and where their pride, they derive their pride from in that blackness, mm. right? So, um, so oftentimes you'll hear people like, well, we're a descendant of kings and queens. And I'm like, no, we aren't actually. <laughs> and that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, why, why do you need this grand imagery of your ancestors being a king and queen for you to feel okay with the fact that they became enslaved? Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and those, and I feel like that shame that a lot of people feel around blackness is why to be excellent, they tell, we have to talk a certain way. We have to, like, you know, we yeah. have to put on the uniform because a lot of folks, they're, they're shamed, ashamed of our roots. Um, and I don't want that to be the case. And I also don't want Strivers Road to um, force narratives some of some narratives on people too like so and sometimes i see folks making connections to africa and and that right that's our home of yeah. course like there's a lot of you know respect and honor due to the motherland but especially for african americans like that connection isn't as strong as sometimes people put forth and it yeah. feels and it feels fake and it fe- and i feel uncomfortable with it sometimes so drivers yeah. row is definitely a diasporic group of folks like yeah. we have folks who are from Africa folks who are you know identify Caribbean. as Caribbean mm-hmm. wherever folks who are biracial so we definitely embrace everyone who identifies as black and is a part of the African diaspora but we don't claim I think a somewhat false proximity mm-hmm. to Africanness um and also and I think oftentimes when that's done too it's disrespectful to the nuance that exists within Africa yeah right like you know there are all these different cultures and it's kind of rude of us to just be like Africa mother Africa like yeah. no like no. yeah and <laughs> I mean and even speaking of that um as also as African-American but I think that it's very interesting for the messaging like it's very black you know like black community because yes black is a color it's not necessary and everybody comes from different backgrounds and at the end of the day like we all just shed from these roots of the diaspora mm-hmm. but I think it's also interesting to think about you know most of us have not even been to the motherland right and really understand all of those nuances that comes with the community right mm-hmm. of that and really kind of understanding not what people have told us mm-hmm. about our roots but actually going and really understanding the that first of all there are so many levels to to our history and we can all if we don't go and really seek out that knowledge we're just continuing to feed in what the media is portraying right. to us to believe that this is our journey and this was our story so i think it's very interesting that you even mention that because i think that shows that we're trying to dispel these ideas we're trying to educate we're trying mm-hmm. to inspire we're trying to connect people from all walks of land to be able to move and like you said climb together as a people and i think that's a very important first of all a very important platform to have which is why i wanted to join the podcast but i also think it's very important that um we have black founders who are making sure that like our stories are told and that we're communicating and dispelling these ideas and these myths about who we are as a people for yeah. the culture 
Yeah, and I mean, I think like in time, like there, there are, there's, you know, uh, we'd like to pay honor to like all these different things and entities and spaces and places that play into blackness in time, right? But we have to, for us, it's very important to do it in the way that feels authentic and that mm-hmm. that feels like real and right and that speaks to the core of who we are. Right. Um, because there's so many things that make us, so many more things that make us the same than that make us different. And um, as black folks, and I think the the beauty is in that sameness just as much as it is in it those is in those little differences, differences right? Yeah. And like, and oftentimes it's even the same thing with a little nuance, right? Like right. it's like there's there's probably there's a black mama saying that like you know African American mama say Caribbean mama say you know uh, folks from the continent say, but there's just a little tweak to it. But at the end of the day, they all know how to tell you you ain't shit to your face. <laughs> That's a fact. That's it. That is a fact. <laughs> they know how to humble you that real is, quick. That is. So I wanted to ask you, as, uh, how has Strivers Row, what, or what has Strivers Row taught you about yourself? Mm, wow. Um, it's taught me everything about myself. Um, I think it's, it's taught me, first it taught me to trust myself. Mm. Um I feel like the seed for Shriver's Row was planted a long, long time ago. I mean, it took me um, a minute to actually move on it. Um, But once I did move on it and the way that it was received and has continued to be received, um, lets me know that, like, when when I feel strongly about something, like, I, I... it is for a reason. Um, And also, you know, entrusting my vision and just, like the core aspects of Shriver's Row are the things that are happening for it um, and the things that we dedicate the most time to build a foundation for. Um, and, and it's starting to work. Um, right. Like, we're finally starting to get a check or two. Like, we're about to do our first event where we, like, are being, you know, paid a fee to host an event. And I'm like, yes. wow. Like, finally. I'm so tired of yes. paying for it. Um, but, no, it's always, it was always worth it to bring the folks together in the room. But, like, it's it's starting to happen. So Right. And speak that, more so on, like, the belief of your vision. Because you said, like, this all the seed has been planted, but you had to move on it. And I think a lot of people have these ideas but they don't really move on Mm -hmm. it and i want you to speak more to like moving on your idea and really believing you know the vision that you have for it when there was no checks yeah and like what would you advise people who are thinking about ideas or trying to start ideas how what would you advise them to do when they are in those moments where it seems like this is running me dry you know what i'm saying a little bit um yeah, I mean, I think, I don't, for me, it was like, like I said, the seed was planted, and it it was something that nagged at me. Like, it was, I couldn't get peace. Like, I was like, I was moving all these other aspects of my life around, um, and peace was just a very elusive thing, and it was tied to me feeling like I should be doing this thing. Um, and it really just got to a point where, like, I just had to, I felt like I had to give into it, you know? Like, right. it was like, it's 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 this thing or it's me, like, straight up. And so, right. um, yeah, just gave into it. Uh, honestly, I was coming out of a situation with a dude, dude ghosted me. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to sit around and cry like no weak bitch. I'm about to work. 
and literally launched Travis Row in a week. From yeah. whenever I decided to be off him, I like called yeah. um, Chanel was Chanel Johnson, the founder of Base Butter. She was our first um, Striver interview. I like emailed her. She was on vacation in Barbados, but she like through a static connection, she was down to do her interview, and like we just kept rolling from there. Yeah. Um, but I think, <laughs> and it, speaking of Black Mama sayings, this is actually on one of our pieces of merch. But uh, my mom used to always say, "I can show you better than I can tell you." Yeah. Um, and usually that was like, uh, she was about to pop me real quick. Um, but I flipped it. I flipped, I flipped that, um, saying into just really execution over ideas is, uh, kind of something that I've integrated into my life. So, you know, I think it's a bit audacious sometimes and granted (laughs) people of privilege can do this and get results. So Things that are audacious for us are not always audacious for everyone else. But I think it's a bit audacious to be like, I have this idea. Cut me a check. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is an idea? Anyone can have an idea. Like, what separates people from each other is their ability to execute and follow through on ideas. So... For us, it was like, these are the things that we want to do, the things that we consider to be core to Shriver's Row. So we just have to do them ourselves. Like, we have to do them, show folks what we can do with very limited resources, like very, very limited resources. And then it makes it that much easier for them to imagine what them cutting a check that is minuscule to them, because I used to deal with marketing budgets, million, hundred million dollar budgets. Like, right. what's minuscule to them can do, you know what I'm saying, for our project or the things that we're trying to execute. It's, it's just very easy for them to see because they see what we've already done. done with limited resources. Um, and, and I think that that mentality could be helpful for uh, a lot of folks who are trying who are trying to make things happen. And you're not going to be, like I said, a conversation that Duke and I always have is like, we got to scale things back. Like, we got we to gotta make things work with what we have. So you aren't going to be able to always do things to, you know, the full extent of your vision. You are going to have to cut a corner here or there or cut out a particular piece that you thought would be really special. Right. But again, stay in tune with your why and, and the core of what you're doing and make sure that you check that box and then everything else is extra. Like oftentimes, like I'm like, oh, we don't have a floral arrangement. Like that, that, you know, sends me over, like grinds my gears. I'd be so mad. But like the people who are there, like, they could care less about a flower arrangement. Like they're in the room to meet people, genuine folks and make connections. Right. And if that happens, like we have done our job. Right. The core, the objective of right. the event at right. that time. And that's amazing. So it's taught you a lot about wait, how to, how to work with limited amount of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that um, it's taught me and it's teaching me now, like literally in this moment, um, like teamwork, true teamwork. Right. Um, so like I said, when I started out with Strivers Row, it was just me and Gerard, former podcast uh, guest. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so Gerard is creative director of Strivers Row. Um, so it started out like just, you know, me and him. I would kind of handle all the administrative stuff, do the interviews, and he would shoot and kind of make sure our visuals were tight. Um, and then like I said, Duke came on board um, at the top of last year. Um, and so... We're trying to, like, now shift some responsibilities, especially as I'm about to go back to my days being taken up with work. Um, You know, Duke also works a 9 to 5. Well, he don't work a 9 to 5. He works a 9 to 10, too. So, like, we have a lot of stuff on our place and a lot and more things are happening for Shriver's Row. So, I'm... 
learning to let go of some things, um, which is very hard for me because it's like, you know, it's since the baby. beginning, like, yeah, right. like everything, I'm like, why am I not copied on the email, y'all? Like, copy right. the email, but then it's like, I have to, but I have to let go of that. Like, I, they're part of this because I trust them and I believe in them and their talents and their abilities. Um, and so, we're like, like I said, we're in the process of trying to like offload some things, especially like with Gerard, allow him to really own the creative space. And like, as my friend and knowing what he wants to do in his life, like I want this to be an opportunity for him to learn and grow and learn how to manage some things. So like I said, we're trying to allow him more autonomy over that space. Um, Duke and I are always trying to like figure things out and pick things up where each other, you know, lacks um, or where time crunches are. Right. Um, but there's a lot of, communication that has to happen with that um so so we're working through it um i feel tremendously blessed to have my team yeah no one else that i would rather do this with um but like it, it's a process um and, and that's a lesson that i'm still learning is like how how to be a good leader yeah honestly yeah and again the, you guys are still figuring like you said you're figuring it out you're learning as you go but i mean wow two campaigns right in such a short time, you have events, two events now, right? Going on your second event. Uh, I think the first event was in Brooklyn um, when you did the first yes, campaign. Yes, the launch of it. Yeah, the launch of it. So, like, so much happening outside of just the features. Like you said, it's the features now. It's evolving. And so that speaks to the the volume of the impact that it's having on a community and the support and belief in your vision. So kudos to you. Shout outs to you, sis. Thanks, for doing the damn thing. Um, but I want to shift gears a little bit and go into my, my favorite part of the conversation. Yeah. Ah! But kind of it kind of ties back to your fear, but more so like love and oh, happiness. Okay. So <laughs> you know you, you said earlier about your fear that like you grew up in a household where um there was, it wasn't a two-parent necessarily household and your vision for the life that you want to have, which is to be a wife and to have family. Well, what do you, what does a healthy relationship look like to you? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think a, health, a healthy relationship to me looks like equity. Um, not necessarily like equality, right? Because I think that in relationships... <laughs> things are gonna get off kilter that's the nature of a relationship but equity to me equity to me is saying like we're both equally invested in this like you know um no one is gonna leave the other person hanging so that's mm-hmm. like off rip like we both want this um and so willing to do what it takes to make it happen and i think that's a romantic relationship a platonic relationship right. um and really all of these things i think apply to both yeah. um so i would say equity in that um i think support is honestly really important um and that's just me as a person i'm a person that i'd like to think shows up for people i try to show up for people i try like if you know i I never want my friends to be somewhere and look around and they don't see a familiar face so Mm. if i can be that person like i try to um so that is important um support I think open communication, honesty, willingness to be vulnerable yeah, um, and transparent. Um, a lot of people, I think, think that vulnerability is a weakness. Um, and I would counter that it's the ultimate strength. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when you give people the power to destroy you, <laughs> I don't know what's stronger than that. Like, honestly, you know what I mean? You yeah. hope that they won't. But I think that it's a tremendously strong thing to kind of put 
yourself in other people's hands. Yeah. Honestly. So do you, I mean, I know we discussed your fears, but are you afraid or what scares you? Not even are you afraid. What scares you most about the idea of maybe not having love as a part of the definition of having it all? Um, I don't know. Honestly, I think, like I said, it's like for me, since I was young, like it's just it was it was just a void that I felt. And and again, I don't think there's no like one solution. Right. Because I'm sure there are people who grew up with two parents in the household and they still felt an absence. Right. Right. Or there are all these ways that things these things can happen. But I, I remember that. I remember being a kid and being like, why is there a guy here? And like and I'm very and I think also I look to men. Um, very much so as like protectors, mm. and like I remember, I, and funny enough, I don't know what else word to, word to use, but I remember as a child growing up in the house, it was my mom and my grandma in the home. So again, lots of love. I was never a latch. Like I, I, right. I can count on my hand, one hand, the amount of times I came home and someone wasn't there. So I was very much so cared for, and you know. All of that, but I remember feeling vulnerable. Like I felt like we just felt vulnerable as a household of women, mm. and like there, I was like, if someone runs up in here, what are we gonna do? It's us, it's three women. What what we gonna do? And I remember that like bothering me. Mm. Um, and so I and maybe maybe, so that, maybe that's it. Like so maybe, maybe the idea, the safety of yeah, a, of a, the protection, of, yeah, of a like, man being in the house. Oh, girl, you look like working. Yeah, I never knew what it was, but maybe maybe that's it. Like, and of course, like I would want. You know, and even still, like, my relationship with my father, again, like, very loving, very supportive. But, you know, again, it took a 40-minute car ride to get to my dad. You know, I right. would love for my kids to be able to roll out of bed and their dad be there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe it is, like, that's, that's security. That's security. And, like, and safety. Yeah. Because we, you know, manhood, or we think about manhood, and I'm not a man, so, guys, you know, this is my... <laughs> <laughs> perspective when we think about manhood it's like they're protectors they're providers mm-hmm. they're um you know professors of their love you know mm-hmm. or of how you know they want their family and their dynamic to be and so you know not seeing that in the household every day there's it kind of feels like now there's this this longing or desire for this idea of what we deem based off of what we learned, you know, mm-hmm. this learning in childhood of what a man is supposed to be and what we want to have right. uh, for our lives. But then also realizing that when it comes to to love, right, that love comes in many forms and fashion. It's not abusive, but okay. many forms and fashions. <laughs> and that, and that, like, you know, the love in which we, what I had to learn for me, the love in which I was seeking for from another person, I had to start giving mm-hmm. to myself. So that I did not associate so much of it on that other person mm-hmm. that if they didn't give it to me, then I wouldn't know, you know, right. what that love felt like, if right. that makes sense. Um, and so it's very interesting. Now that we unpacked all this, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I even think about it as a woman, too. Like, OK, if I live on my own. Right. My, when I first moved to New York, my dad didn't want me to live on my own. He was like, you're a female by yourself. And I'm just like, I'm gonna be going to work, coming home. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. But this is the. It's already that pr- protective nature of like you're in a big city. I don't want you to be at home by yourself and all these different things. So it starts to be kind of like learned behavior that's mm-hmm. associated on you, and, and you feel like, damn, well, I, I I I need that yeah. security or protection in my life. Damn, 
Right. And then I think something else, too, is, uh, I mean, I don't know, I think I'm a fairly, I have fairly traditional views of, like, relationships between men and women, um, which for some people, I guess, is kind of surprising because I have, like, really high career ambitions. Um, but I think part of it, too, and this is me, like, maybe putting putting myself in a future situation, but it's like, I... <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how this would be perceived by some people, but for me, it's like if I, like if I go to work and be a boss, like I don't want to come home and be the boss too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. I do believe in like a man as head of household, um, as a very opinionated woman, right? Like I expect to always be taken into account, to be consulted, da 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 da, all of the jazz. I'm no one's lap dog, but I do believe in a man assuming the role as the boss of the household Mm -hmm. with a very close second in command. But (laughs) like, you know, and so like, I, damn, I don't want to go in 20 years, be like going going to work, be boss, go home, got to run the whole show. Like I would love to be able to defer a few decisions in home life to a man. Yeah. You would love to be like, Ooh, (laughs) at least when I come home, my man's like, everything is taken care of. And it's not from a domestic standpoint, but more so just from a like, I know you had a long day at work. I've had a long day at work and I just want to be able to be there for you to make sure that when we're, in this house mm-hmm. that you can be as free and decompressed as you need to be so you can get out for the next day okay and go and go to work and go again. boss up again <laughs> us you know yes. what I'm saying you and we you know as Tyler Perry, Perry said we trade in the eyes and the uh the eyes and the use for the weeds and the us mm-hmm. in this situation so I concur yeah, with that <laughs> um one of the next questions I wanted to ask you is how would you describe destiny now versus the destiny five years ago? Girl, <laughs> who is she? Um, that's funny. I mean, honestly, I think I'm the same person in most ways. I, in five years, people's perception of me and how many people know me has changed a lot. Um, but I think at my core, I'm very much so the same person. Um, I, still have big dreams i still question myself a lot on those dreams i'm still uh introvert at core which is a surprise to a lot of people i think i've gotten over on those five years i've gotten a lot better at performing extroversion okay um and it not feeling like a performance for me Mm -hmm. um especially when like when i first started throwing events like I always said, and I, I say this to people all the time, like, I see myself as, like, kind of the Great Gatsby type, or, like, the character from The Great Gatsby. Like, I will, I want to throw extravagant dinner parties and not be a partisan. Like, right. I just want to bring people together. Um, and so that's how all of this started, but, like, me actually being in the mix and working in the room was very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. But because I wanted people to have a good time, and as the host... I'm there to, like, warm people up and make connections. Like, I had to get good at doing it. Um, And those first, that first year, it was, like, I would be so drained. Like, it would feel like an exercise to me, like, Mm. to get to a party. And then I would be, like, wow, that was really taxing. Now, for the most part, I step into that pretty easily, and it doesn't feel like I'm wearing another skin. But, like, I had a party last night, and I couldn't do it. Like, I literally just stayed... At my, at my little section of the table, like, the whole time. Because I was yeah. like, I was like, this, usually I can do it, but today I just, I just didn't have it in me. Yeah. Um, so still, still that person, um, you know, I think, 
<sighs> Let's see what else have I changed or has changed. Um, I think I'm more self-aware these days. Um, but I'm a little disappointed in myself for like my willingness to change those things that I become aware of. So I have to do better with that. But I think I, I think I know myself pretty well. And there aren't a lot of things that people can tell me about myself that I don't already know. Right. Um, and that's helped in a lot of ways, except for where I'm lazy about the things that I don't want to change. Uh, and I have gotten better (laughs) with the absence of particular situation though um about like demanding what i want and being comfortable with setting boundaries and walking yeah. away from things that don't work for me um like, with an exception but generally um i've gotten a lot better yeah just like yeah nah i'm good on you i'm good on this no and, hard feelings and being no at love peace loss. yeah, yeah mm-hmm. i've been able to walk away from most things yeah well what experiences in your life, whether good or bad, wouldn't you trade for the world? Um, I mean, most of them I wouldn't trade. Um, I mean, I would say, uh, I mean, I would definitely say travel. We talked about that. I would say my travel experiences, I wouldn't give up for anything, especially my solo travel experiences. Um, I think that's something that something that everyone should do at least once Mm. um because you return with such a sense of confidence that Mm. i i haven't lost since um i think i went on my first solo trip in maybe 2015 it was um and i've done two others um and i mean to go to a foreign place like solo dolo yeah having to figure it out but also being able to make that trip exactly what you wanted because there's no one else there um is amazing so i would i would not give any of my travel experiences back um i would say honestly like the trajectory and the way that things happen with driver's row i mean honestly i would say my whole honestly the whole trajectory because i think all these things led into one another so if we started me with me starting a group me um in 2013, when I moved here with 20 people, right? Uh, that that is probably the thing that I could not take back because none of the other things, things would have happened. Because um, from that group, me that grew, the link up came out of that, and my ability to just I met a lot of people through that and kind of saw that I could get people into a room and, and build community. Um, and I think that's where the seed was planted for Shriver's Row. So. Yeah. yeah, and traveling. I mean, even that. Even you traveling and saying you went on three solo trips, I think that kind of dispels or actively works towards overcoming your fear because, I mean, we think about that security aspect, right? Mm -hmm. That safety aspect. You have to be with someone when you go travel because you're in a foreign country and, like, you don't want something to happen to you. All these, like, things that you you think about, like, you even doing that on your own three times Mm -hmm. means that, like, you're building, you're, you're dispelling this kind of, like, yeah feeling of not being safe you know yeah, having and i safety. think too or just or mm-hmm. feeling like you need to wait on people, people for certain things um yeah you know like it was like it's i want to go so i'm gonna go like if some of my friends can come cool if they can't i'm still about to be out yeah. um and i think that's like an important too because i think we i don't know if guys do this but i know a lot of women do it and we have our timelines in our head of we want certain things by certain time or we have of like we again we can be slaves to our vision right like it's like oh i know people are like well i only want to go to paris like on a vacation because it's romantic like 
nah. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right. You know, like, no, you you don't need to wait on that. You can go to Paris now, and if a boo comes, y'all can always go back. Paris not going anywhere, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just like doing things solo dolo is like super empowering. Yeah, it is. Well, to close out the episode, I want to ask you what the question that I want to ask you is. How have you been fearless in your pursuit of happiness? Mm. Have I been fearless in my pursuit of happiness? That might be the question. Um, Because I don't think I have been. I think that fear is um, a very (laughs) consistent and strong presence in my life. Mm. Um, And I think that my happiness or those moments of happiness have just been in spite of fear. Mm. Um, and fear is like very paralyzing for me, honestly. Um, and I think oftentimes it's more of a fear, fear of success and a fear of failure. A lot of times, like I'm, I'm kind of comfortable with things not happening. Um, I get a lot more anxiety and afraid of things happening in me than not being able to rise to them. Mm-hmm. So, like, I procrastinate a lot, and that's rooted in fear. It's not anything else. It's literally, like, I will wait until the last minute to send this email because, like, what if they say yes? And then that means I have to actually do this thing. Right, and so can, it's the fear of it actually happening yeah. versus Yeah, and so happening. I think those moments when I'm like, fuck it, I'm, I'm afraid, but fuck it, um are when happiness comes and I'm and I'm working to like let go of those fears because I think one something that I say that I believe um but I think I have to do a better job of like really um ingraining it to myself is like what's for me is for For me me. and like you said earlier so like I should be less tied to any anything because either way no matter how it shakes out if it's coming it's coming yeah Absolutely. I wouldn't peg you as a procrastinator at all. Oh, girl. Girl, I'm like <laughs> thorough. Okay. When I got that email <laughs> for the campaign, it was like dot, 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 dot. I was like, yes, yeah. absolutely. This is everything. <laughs> I want to be more like organized and thorough, like destiny, because this is how it should be girl, done, honey. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm good for knowing the cutoff point. Like, I'm, I'm very, very good at like, Straddling that line, like, <laughs> all right, now you like the latest of the latest. Yeah, yeah, but like, I will wait until then, or I will, I will legit type an email and it'll just sit there. I won't hit send on. I'll take two days to hit send on an email if I'm like feeling the way about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely that's one of my <laughs> unhealthy habits that I need to work on. It's procrastination as well. So I, <laughs> I feel you on that for sure. Um, I usually, well, first of all. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, this is a season of transition and progression. So everyone coming on the podcast, this is a really, really uh, monumental for me. Uh, just given the changes that are happening in my life. So I really appreciate it so much for you to come on and share your story um, in such a tight window. Oh, girl, look, <laughs> you, time. Know, you know, I'm just going to make it happy. Yeah, um, but I want to close out the episode. I usually like to use um, a quote that represents my guest's fear. So the quote that I have is, it's not about having it all. It's about having what you va- you most value. Hmm. 
I'm going to say that again. It's One not about time. having it all. It's about having what you most value. So on that note, I'm going to wish you all love, light, and many of blessings. Until next time, guys, it's your girl, Fairless Kia. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. And we out.